What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Jesus, we praise you for you are worthy. We praise you for you are with us. We praise you for you are good. And we praise you for the gospel and for the power of the gospel to destroy strongholds. The power of the gospel to destroy all things that keep us from finding your goodness. The power, O oh God, of the gospel to take every thought captive and bring it under you, Jesus. The power of your gospel and the move of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we submit to that in this space. You who are worthy, you who have saved us. Holy Spirit, may our Savior be proclaimed here in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated. Amen. Penultimate week of the Abide series, and today we're thinking about gifts. Gifts. If you have been in any relationship of sorts, then gifts will be a part of that. You have either bought a gift or hopefully, hopefully received a gift. And maybe uh, you've probably received this gift. Everyone, you know, when in doubt, bring a sock out. Everyone's probably received the wonderful, gracious gift of socks. Actually, if you've never received a gift of socks, can you put your hands up? Is there anyone so favored by God? Fran, look at that lady, favored by the Lord, has never received a gift of socks. But the thing with gifts in relationships is that we almost, we communicate um, love and that intention to continue in the relationship by buying gifts for one another. It's, it's almost like I still like you. I still want to continue journeying with you. I still love you. We give each other gifts. And I've come to find that equally as important as giving is in the way that we receive the gifts. You know, you many times you could buy someone a gift and then they smile and they receive it well and then they give it to somebody else or put it up on eBay or something. So equally important in giving the gift is also the way that it is received. And of course, we have been given the most wonderful gift of all. There is that song that declares what gift of grace is Jesus our Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. And it's that sense of in the gift of Jesus Christ to us, there is nothing that God can give us that will better the gift of Jesus. There is nothing that anyone can give us. There is nothing we can receive in heaven or on earth that will ever be better than the gift of Jesus. That 
grace to be able to say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And though in many spaces we, we are offered alternative gifts and told that this is good as the gift of Christ, there is nothing quite like Jesus. It is such, he's such an immense gift to our lives that we almost spend the rest of our lives unpacking this gift, discovering what this blessed assurance Jesus is mine, what it means, what it looks like in different seasons, in different spaces. And sometimes, unfortunately, the gift of Jesus can be like, you know, the gift you received last Christmas that's still under the Christmas tree, unpacked, untouched. And there's that sense of you never really know how wonderful a gift is until you take it out of the box. And the question always to us is, where have we placed Christ? Is he in a box somewhere in our lives? Or are we daily discovering a little bit more about the amazing gift of Jesus Christ with us on the road every single day? It is, it is the most precious gift we could receive. And, and the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit is here to help us unpack that gift, to lead us into that truth, to help us to understand what we have been freely given. And so the question is, how do we unpack this wonderful gift of grace of Jesus Christ that if it is, if he is the most precious and the most wonderful gift we could have, if indeed everything that we need is found in this gift of Jesus with us, then how do we unpack it? How do we journey into it? The thing about the kingdom of God is that it always works in the opposite way to the way that this world works. And in God's kingdom, one of the ways that we receive is by giving. One of the ways that we are drawn into what God is doing is by giving of ourselves to him. And so we come to the story where God approaches Moses and he says to him, he asks him that question, what is in your hand? What is that in your hand more specifically? And the thing is for Moses in that time when God comes and engages with him and says, what is that in your hand? Whenever God comes to engage with us in that question, Whenever God comes to us and he says, what's going on for you? Whenever God comes to us and says, can I be part of that story? Will you hand over that space in your life to me? It is because God intends to give us so much more. It is an invitation even more than it is a request. Think about Jesus and the woman at the well. When Jesus meets this woman at the well and he asks her for water and she asks questions, she's like, oh, why are you asking me for water? You don't have a bucket and all these other questions. And Jesus says to her, oh, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for water because the water I will give you 
you will never thirst again. I remember at our graduation, and it was, oh, I'm going to forget his name now. What's his name, Em? Rick Warren, the famed Rick Warren at our graduation. And he was speaking on this topic. And he said something significant. He said, the thing that is in our hands, whether that is our gift, whether that's our relationships, whether that's our work, whether that's our church, whether that's our opinion or ideas, the things that are in our hands, in our hands, they can only do so much. There is a limit to what they can accomplish. In Moses' hand, that staff is just a shepherd's staff. But released to God, it can do so much more than that. There is a sense in which when I hold on to stuff and I hold on to my story and I say this story is about me and what I want to do and what I want to accomplish, it can only go so far. But if I'm willing to release that to God, there is no limit to what God can accomplish with it. And so the question is always this, the question that God is always asking it to us is, what, what do you have in your hands is a constant question when God engages with us in life. And, and the truth is that as I can see it on your faces, there's a bit of confusion as to, I don't know what I've got in my hands. I've got, I've got, I've got this pen. This pen, is that, is that what you're referring to? There's, a, there's always that question of, I don't really have anything or I don't really have much to offer. I don't really have anything. Well, I don't really have much to offer. And what we're actually saying in many ways is, I don't really have much compared to the other person. So we're saying, oh, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really have much. I don't have the knowledge that that person has. I don't have the influence that that person has. I don't have the relationship that that person has. I don't have the family that that person has. I don't have the resources that that person has. I don't really have much. There's that sense in which we diminish what is in our hands. And I love that particular saying. There's a saying that says comparison is the thief of joy. That when we begin to compare ourselves with the other person, we always feel like, oh, but I don't really have much. I'm, 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 not, I'm never going to be as good a parent as them. I'm never going to be as good uh, an evangelist as them. I'm never going to be as good a worker as them. I'm never going to be as good a minister as them because it's like I don't really have much to offer but I wonder if God's preference is to engage with us in the spaces of our greatest vulnerability in the spaces where we feel out of our depth in the spaces where we feel I just cannot do this that perhaps that is the exact space where God comes to engage with us, where God comes to say, follow me in this, join me in this. Because there's one thing that we are good at as humanity. We are very good at explaining God away. 
So if something happened, we're really good at saying, oh, this happened because I was clever or I did the right stuff or it was the government or it was that person or it was the fairies. We're very good at explaining God out of the story. And so often God comes to us in those spaces of our weakness. And it's in the spaces of our weakness that God comes to us and asks a question and says, what is that in your hand? Let me be part of that story. Think about Moses. God is calling him to go back into a space where he has failed. Where he has failed. Moses has attempted to deliver the Hebrew people in the past. He went out there and he killed an Egyptian in an attempt to rescue the Hebrew people. But then he got rejected both by the Hebrew people that he was trying to rescue and by the Egyptians who had brought him up. And he had run away a wanted man for murder with his people saying to him, who, who asked you to come and be our rescuer? Who made you our salvation? No, they didn't want anything to do with him. So Moses, in that space where he had failed, in that space where he would have felt out of his depth, in that space where he would have said, I don't know what to do here. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience. I'm too young. I'm too old. That is usually the space where God's voice is speaking to us. That is usually the space where God is making that invitation and asking, what is that in your hand? I was just saying where I was in my notes. Um, sneak preview. <laughs> And the thing is, I always remember a story from a friend of mine. And she, she wasn't a Christian. When she got married, she and her husband, they weren't Christians. And they were, they were journeying, they weren't Christians. And then she has this wonderful encounter with God whereby she then gives her life to Jesus. But her husband is still not saved. And she's praying. She's praying for him to be saved. But she's like, God, please save him. She recognizes she, she's the one in the story. What, what does she have in her hands? She's the one that God would use in that story. And when she reflects on the journey of how she tried to evangelize her husband, she always says, everything that you could have done wrong in evangelizing, that is what she did. Because as a young Christian who did not have any church background, she was like, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was very judgy, I was very condemning, I was always, you know, you will go to hell, you know that one? It was that, that was her kind of witness. Poor guy. But the amazing thing is this, he got saved. He got saved. Somehow God did it. Because the reality is that it is not about the size or the 
competence, if you like, of what we have in our hands. It is about the God who journeys with us. It is a discovery that it's not about how big the thing is, but how big our God is. That's what we always recognize in the scriptures. When Jesus draws the disciples to him in the feeding of the 5,000 and he says to them, you know, you feed them. And I think it's Andrew who says to him, oh, we've just got five loaves of bread and two fish, but what good, what good is that? And I don't know how many times I felt, I don't know how many times you felt in a particular space, whether as a parent or as a partner, whether as uh, in your work, whether it's in the church community, when you feel like, you know, whether it's what, just with a number of hours you have in the day to do the amount of work that you have to do, and you think, what good is that? But the invitation from God is always, what is that in your hands? That is what I will use to transform the story. The temptation, though, for us, and in the past year, God has challenged me on that one, is that we always long for Saul's armor. Perhaps you know the story before David goes to fight Goliath. And, you know, he goes to the king, he goes to King Saul and says, don't worry about this giant, I'll take him on, it's fine. And Saul is like, okay, that's okay. And he tries to give David his own armor to put on and it says you know that David the interesting thing as I was reflecting on it this week is that David actually tries on Saul's armor he doesn't immediately say oh no no I'm gonna kill him with this sling and this stone no he actually puts the armor on to see oh let me let me see how this how this looks I've never I've never worn armor before it looks quite nice Dolce and Gabbana armor you know and he put it on he tries it on but then he discovers that it doesn't fit and I remember there was, a, there was a season in my life where I was saying to God, you know, Lord, if I could do this, and if I had that gift, and if I had that attitude, and if I had that, these things, then, then I would be a very good minister, wouldn't I? Then I'll be able to, you know, lead a church if I had these things, hint, hint, Lord. But God said to me, so, so basically you want... You, you want soul's armor. That's what you want. We want that thing. We say, when I have the knowledge, when I have the relationship, when I'm at this position at work, when I have that thing, then, then I will be able to achieve all those things I hope for. But in these journeys... This is where the Holy Spirit helps us to discover what gift of grace is Jesus on the road with us. Because we come to points in our journey where we are like, this could only be God. This could only be God. And so it is in the areas of our vulnerability and our weaknesses where we see God's power most at work because he says, my power shows up best in weakness. 
The scriptures tell us that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So perhaps in those spaces where I feel like, oh yes, I can do this. I'm fantastic in this. I'm the man. In those spaces, God can't really engage with us there. Because whatever he does, we will always say, it was me. He says that to his people in the journey, whenever he's, he's leading his people and he's saying, oh, if I let them do it this way, they will think it was themselves. They will think it was some idol that did it. But in those spaces where we are weak, in those spaces where you are vulnerable, in those spaces where you feel like, I can't do this, there is an invitation from God waiting for you that it is with exactly that which is in your hand that he will bring transformation to your story. When Jesus, when Jesus meets the man at the poolside of Bethesda and he's lying there and Jesus meets him and Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? The guy does what we all do and he answers a completely different question. He says, but I, but I don't have anyone. But I don't have anyone. And sometimes when, when Christ comes to us in those spaces of our darknesses, those spaces of our doubts, those spaces of our fears, those spaces where we feel out of our depths, and he says to us, do you want this to be transformed? And our response is often all the reasons why it can't be transformed. But Lord, I don't have this. But Lord, I'm not that. But Lord, I... And Jesus is just saying to us, Trust me, with that which is in your hand, that that you have, you in that space, with what you have as a parent, with what you have as a spouse, with what you have as a worker, as a friend, with what you have in that home, in that family, that is exactly what God will use to bring transformation. You do not need what the other person has. You do not need soul's armor. You have Jesus and he will use that thing that we think is so small and so insignificant so that we discover how big and glorious our God is. It is right in the spaces of his failure that God invites Moses to discover his strength. So he invites us to let go of what is in our hands. He invites us not to diminish it. But I think most significant of all, most comforting of all, is God never asks us for what we do not have. Church can ask you for what you do not have. Relationships can ask you for what you do not have. Work definitely always asks you for what you do not have. More hours, please, you know. But God, he never asks us for what we do not have. Even faith. When God has talked with Moses and told them, you know, throw the staff on the ground or turn into a serpent and all that. Moses is still begging. Moses sounds like me only to my defense. 
I didn't I didn't see a staff turning into a snake, so that's my excuse. But Moses is still like, God, I don't want to go. God, I don't want to go. Send someone else. I can't even speak. I don't even know Egyptian. He's, he's begging. He's pleading. He doesn't want to go. What does God do? Does God say, oh, Moses, I am fed up with you, you stupid boy. I am going to smite you with fire and choose somebody else. No. God doesn't ask for what he doesn't have. The courage that he doesn't have, the faith that he doesn't have, God doesn't demand that he goes. God gives him Aaron, his brother. His brother just happens to show up at this time when he needs him. And it is with Aaron journeying alongside Moses that gives Moses the courage to go into the spaces that God is asking him to revisit. If you read the story of Moses further, you would see that even in Egypt, for the first few plagues that are taking place, it's Aaron who is speaking and it's Aaron who is lifting up the staff. It's not Moses. It only gets to a particular point and then God says to them, let Moses do it. Give Moses, give Moses a go. I think he's ready now. God never asks for what we do not have. He never asks us for what we do not have. I love this line from God to Gideon, another that he used. It was one that God gave to me recently as I began this journey. And God says to him, go with the strength that you have. Go with the strength that you have. When Jesus meets the man whose son is possessed and the disciples are unable to cast the demon out and the man says to Jesus, he says, the man says to Jesus, oh, help me if, help me if you can. And Jesus says to him, if, if anything is possible for the one who believes. And he says to Jesus, he says, I, I believe, help my own belief. So he's like, I've got little faith. Can you help me in the spaces where I don't have enough? And Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, that's, that's a pity. Come back when you've got a bit more faith and then maybe I can do something about it. So Jesus steps into that space. When the disciples, when they say to Jesus, they say, oh Lord, give us more faith. That is what we need. Jesus says, you don't need more faith. Even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, even if you have faith enough to put one step just before the other, to take one day at a time, that will be enough to move mountains. Because it is not about the size of what we have in our hands. It is not about our personal competency. It's about discovering Jesus on the road. God never asks for what we do not have. In relationship with God, never ever beat yourself up in relationship with God. You know, the scriptures tell us, don't they, that we should love the Lord with all our hearts, all our souls, all our strength, all our minds. 
But the truth is that there are some seasons when your heart is broken and there are seasons when your heart is whole. There are seasons when your mind is broken and there are seasons when your mind is whole. There are seasons when your body is broken and there are seasons when your strength is full. And what we can give in the different seasons of our lives vary. That what we can give God with our hearts when they are broken are different to what someone can give God when their hearts are full. What we can give God when our minds are full of worry and anxiety is different to what someone else can give to God when their minds is filled with testimony. Comparison is the thief of joy. We never need to look at the other person because God never asks for what we do not have. The faith that you have, the courage that you have, the commitment that you have, the grace that you have, That's all that God will ask for. Because it is not about what we can do with these things. It is about what God is capable of doing in Christ Jesus. And the invitation to join him, no matter how little it is, it is always so that we can discover just how wonderful Jesus is. And that he is so present with us on the road. So many times I've, I've spoken to people who are in seasons of their life where they, they're so time poor that they don't have much time to give to prayer, for example. And they feel so guilty and they're beating themselves up and they're saying, oh, that person, that person prays 10 hours a day and fasts 31 times a month and, and, and they do this and that and ah, I've only got five minutes. Listen. Your five minutes with God in your season may be worth more than that other person's 10 hours. Because the widow's might, Jesus never asks for what we don't have. When Jesus says to his disciples, don't go and start witnessing until you receive the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't, we must try not to miss the heart of Jesus in the messages of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want them to, he has called them to be his witnesses, but he's telling them, wait until you have what you need to go. Never asks for what we do not have. Let that be such a great comfort to you as you journey with God this week in relationship with God never beat yourself up Christ was beaten up so that we don't have to be it is because of him that we get to dwell with God so come as you are every day go into those spaces every day with just what you have just offer it to Jesus as best as you can because the grace is discovering his presence with us on the road. God knows what we are able to give to him. I just finished with this um, 
I think I, I shared a little bit of this when I came um, to do my preach with a view, which seems like, was that a few years ago now, is it? <laughs> but I remember, and maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, maybe this will feel, maybe this will give you very little confidence, but it's all right. <laughs> I'll be vulnerable. I remember it was um it was probably in between still speaking to you about you know whether or not we were gonna get married. And I remember there was a night where I I woke up in the middle of the night as you do. Emma was fast asleep next to me, obviously. And I and I began to think about ministry. And I began to think about it. And the more I thought about it, the more scared I got. The more I thought, Andy, what are you doing? The more I thought, I wonder if my boss will give me my old finance job back. The more I felt so overwhelmed. And I'm lying there thinking, to help people come alive to Jesus to really know him, to really experience him on the road. And I'm thinking, God, I am so out of my depth here. And I remember just lying there, just filled with anxiety and saying to God, saying to him, God, you have to be present. You have to do this. You have to help me or I will fail. You have to help me or I will fail. I remember just lying there and those were the thoughts going on and on in my head. Just on repeat, God, you have to help me or I will fail. You have to help me or I will fail. Over and over again, everyone's looking a bit worried. <laughs> and, and as I held that thought, I fell asleep. And then, and, then I had, and then I was in this dream. And in this dream, I was stood in front of a mirror. I don't know what the significance of that was, but I was stood in front of a mirror. And then I heard a voice say to me, God is ready to answer your cry to him now. God is ready to answer your cry to him now. And so I listened. And then a few seconds later, a song began to play. A song that we used to sing when I was growing up in Nigeria, which says the words, He has promised he will never fail. I will trust in him. I will trust in him. He has promised he will never fail. His faithfulness is forevermore. His faithfulness is forevermore. And it was like I was lying there saying to God, Oh God, I will fail. And God was like, I won't. I won't fail. I won't fail. It's not about what you are able to do, Andy. It's about what I will do. And I won't fail. And if you take anything from this morning, let it be that. In those spaces 
where you feel where you feel like you failed in those spaces where you feel out of your depth in those spaces that are scary in those spaces that are dark god is saying to you i won't fail i won't fail and it is what you have that i will use to bring victory i won't fail trust me i won't fail and so as we finish as we go into the week this was the word that god gave to moses he said to him be sure as you go on your journey to take that which is in your hand know that the most precious gift that you have in your hand as you go into this week is the hand of jesus the most precious gift that we have in our hands as we go into this week is the hand of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. As the worship team come back up. And if we stretch out our hands just before us, before God, and maybe just hold it there, what is, where is that space of vulnerability, of fear, of failure? Where is that space? Lord, as we hold these before you, we confess. What gift of grace is Jesus, our Redeemer? We know that he is all that we need. Blessed assurance, Jesus is ours. In all these spaces, Lord, may your people know your wonderful presence with them, that you will not fail and that you will not abandon us, but that with that which we have in our hands, you will bring deliverance so that we and those around us will see just how good our Jesus is. Amen. Amen.